Well, here it comes. Oh, my goodness. Kick and chase by Mullen. Kick and chase again by Mullen. Guerrero! Welcome back to the Racing and Sports Punters Pod on this Friday, December the 2nd. Jimmy Buckley with you alongside Ken Rutherford, who has just come through another early morning of utterly bizarre World Cup results. Welcome, Ken. Yeah, bizarre is the right word there, James. There's no doubt about that. I mean, who would have thought halfway through the second halves this morning that we were looking at Costa Rica and Japan going through from their group instead of Spain and Germany? But the Germans, of course... uh, Finished strong. It didn't matter in the end. They still were eliminated. Uh, and Japan topped the group. What yeah. odds were that been at the start of the tournament? I think it was about 13s, I think, from memory. Yeah, because I think Germany and Spain both went in mm. roughly $2 a pair yeah, to, to top that group. So just a quick rundown there. Costa Rica 2, Germany 4, Japan 2, Spain 1, Canada 1, Morocco 2, Croatia 0, Belgium 0. As Ken says, that means Germany bow out. It also means Morocco go through... On top of their group, and Belgium miss out, the number two ranked side in the world. So the upsets just keep coming. Now, as referenced on the podcast yesterday, we have another very special guest for you this morning, a man synonymous in footballing circles in New Zealand. It was a part of the All Whites' heroic run to the 1982 World Cup finals, and who was in charge of the team which performed so admirably at the 2010 World Cup, going through three group games undefeated. And the bit I find brilliant about all this was he remained coach of the Wellington Phoenix at the A-League during that time. He's a man just as comfortable on a football pitch as he is on a harness racing track and goes by the name of Ricky Herbert. Welcome to the Punters Pod, Ricky. Cheers, guys. Uh, Great to be here. Fantastic, mate. Where do we find you, mate? I'll take it uh, you're back over in New Zealand now? Yeah, back in, uh, based in Cambridge now, James. So, um, yeah, a ton of football things happening um, through my academy and connections with a couple of prominent clubs in the Waikato region. So, uh, yeah, look, thoroughly embedded, still in the game that I love and, and will continue to love as long as I can uh, actively get around and, and support the game. That's fantastic to hear, mate. Before we get into some of the serious, serious stuff, uh, how did you first come across Rudds back in the day? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's probably a longer conversation than being on a podcast, but uh, yeah. Yeah, look, I, I have to say, and not because he's on, not because he's online, but uh, real champion bloke. And uh, I moved to Cambridge and uh, went across to a place where I thought I could um, perhaps have a bet and, and maybe have a quiet lemonade. And uh, bump, bumped into Ken, and uh, the relationship grew and developed. And um, yeah, I'd like to think we're great mates, and you know, we share a lot of common uh, likes um, around sport and uh, and around racing. Um, but just as importantly, um, you know, grew a great friendship. So a uh, super guy and, um, yeah, we've shared a lot of good moments together. Yeah, I'm, I'm wiping the tears from my eyes, Rickster. So th- <laughs> thanks for that, mate. And the feelings are mutual. And, uh, look, we're both tragic punters, let's be honest. I mean, we're the worst punters in the world. Yeah, yeah. look, I think we, um, you know, we probably wake up on a Saturday morning <laughs> thinking we're going to um, rock the world with some pretty special uh, tips and understandings. But, um, yeah, we love the game and we're still doing it. And, um yeah, look, racing's a great sport too and a great spectacle. And, um, you know, to be fair, guys, I've got uh, three little tips for you here later on. But, um, yeah, hopefully we can shape you into a little bit of uh, 
getting a little bit of coin back over the weekend. Well, we look forward to hearing those. Look, before we do that, I want to maybe take a little bit of a trip down memory lane. 40 years ago, if you can believe it. Unbelievable. One of, uh, one of the great moments, I think, fair to say, in New Zealand sporting history when the All Whites managed to make it through to the, the World Cup finals uh, of the 1982 edition. And, Ricky, you'll be able to tell this story, but, uh, I mean, this was just a little bit before my time, but Rudd's mentioned to me that qualifying for that was a fairly Herculean effort, and uh, by the sounds of it, it involved a trip all the way over to Saudi Arabia, which I think you needed to win by five goals to book your passage through, mate. What are your memories of that time? Yeah, look, I think, yeah, 40 years ago, James, you, you kind of wonder where that uh, water's flowed under the bridge. But, um, yeah, look, to be fair, in my lifetime, just an amazing, proud moment. Um, you know, I think when you grow up in New Zealand, which, you know, obviously waves the flag a lot around rugby and, and other prominent sports, that, you know, football was always my life. Um, right from sort of four years of age, you're kicking a football um, through to being picked for the national team when I was 18 and then, you know, being selected and playing on the world stage at 21 in 1982 at the World Cup. So, yeah, the journey looked um, immense. We had 15 games uh, to play um, to get us to the point of, of that success and putting a stake in the ground and making something iconic uh, for New Zealand football at that point. So what a great group of guys. Um a fantastic journey to go on. And I think culturally just building, you know, you're looking at 99% of players based in New Zealand working, um, you know, some majority in full-time jobs and just absolutely fully committed um, to, to something that turned out to be unbelievably exciting for the whole of the country. So, yeah, fantastic memories. And then to go to Saudi Arabia, as you say, we needed five goals and, um, did we think before the game that that would be a, uh, a possibility? I guess the team had the resilience and the character to say anything was possible, but to be 5-0 up at halftime was <laughs> was kind of a different space to be in, thinking, gee, if we can see the goal, then we're possibly out, or we would be out. But if we score again, we'd, we'd go straight to the World Cup. But uh, yeah, as history tells you, we, we ended up at five, and then we had to go back to Singapore for a playoff against China, which... Um, had some unbelievable moments in as well. But, uh, you know, the, the fairy tale story continued and um, we got to the World Cup for the first time ever. What was Saudi Arabia like in 1982? I think it was played in Riyadh that game uh, 40 years ago. I mean, geopolitically, uh, America and Iran, I think, had uh, come to blows, so to speak, a couple of years earlier. So it was probably quite a volatile part of the world. Yeah, look, I guess I guess we didn't sense that, James. I think um, that they were actually a very good side. They had, you know, some pretty prominent players in the group. We had, um, you know, just got over the line to to get a point against them at Mount Smart Stadium in the home fixture, two two, um, and then to to travel across there with the, you know, the ultimate massive challenge of scoring five. We played on an artificial turf. Um, I'm not sure any of us had, had, had kind of had that ex- experience before of playing on that, that type of surface. Um, but you kind of didn't sense anything back then, anything sort of volatile. It was, you know, we were a pretty cool, cruisy group that got on and, and just accepted whatever. Um, and I'd, I'd say a pretty smooth passage through that sort of program. But, um, 
yeah, the challenge was there. We met the challenge and, um, you know, whether that be away and surface or conditions or whatever, but um, strong enough and character enough to get through and get the result done. If you look at the World Cup itself, Ricky, three matches there in a, in a tough group. I mean, we'll start at the bottom. I mean, Scotland, uh, but, the, <laughs> but Scotland 82 were, were were decent. I mean, they had some some top players. Uh, I seem to remember a goal, David Neary, the Dundee United uh, midfielder come defender, scored from a long range in that tournament. Uh, Russia, who are a decent side. And, of course, talk us through the Brazil side of 1982, headed by one Zico. Yeah, phenomenal group, Ken. And I think, you know, be it the first time you go to a World Cup, I guess, you know, who better to draw than Brazil? Yeah. You know, I think it's, again, as a childhood football lover and growing up in the game, you know, they, they, they always resemble as being, you know, the country in the world. So, you know, to think, gee, I'm 21, I'm going to the World Cup and, you know, hopefully my name's pulled out and I'm going to play against them. But, yeah, look, littered with talent. And I think Zico, Socrates, Falcao, Junior, Adair, you know, arguably, arguably the best Brazilian side that they've, uh, you know, they've circled and put together. So phenomenal just to to be lining up. And I think, you know, a massive um, credit to the Brazilian side too that they had already qualified pre-playing us. So they'd won their first two initial games, um, but they fielded their best 11. And I think that was a, a recognition um, of New Zealand being at the World Cup for the first time. And, um, you know, you couldn't want for a better opportunity of, of walking out on that pitch with arguably, you know, a number of the best footballers in the world currently at that stage. And um, just a surreal moment, a real privilege and honour to be on the pitch with those players. Um, and, to, you know, I guess fulfil a dream of, of being not only at a World Cup, but again, playing against um, arguably the best Brazilian side they've put together. You must have been pinching yourself at half-time in the Scotland game, Ricky. Uh, two all, wasn't it, half-time? Yeah, look, I think that was always one. Um, and I've always gone back in, even, you know, you move that forward to 2010. And, and I guess now, you know, more mature and understanding of, of those sort of environments that, you know, potentially the first game was always an opportunity, I think, for anybody, no matter where you are seated in the world. And I think, you know, we caught them on the hop a couple of times and, I remember Kenny Creswell at the far mm. post having a great opportunity with another header um, that sort of bounced down and uh, just over the top of the bar. Um, you know, so we were we were very competitive in that fixture. And I think, you know, when you roll it back, we were probably the team that put Scotland out of going further with goal difference. So, um, yeah, again, another great occasion. Some fantastic players. Kenny Delgleish, um, Ruff, Keeper, um, Graham Souness. Um, Archie Bald, you know, the, the Joe Jordan, you know, the list goes on with iconic, you know, Scottish players from the past. Thank goodness Joe Jordan's seen a dentist since then. David, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, Ricky, you, you referenced 2010 there. So, so in 1982, I guess you guys put New Zealand football on the, on the international sporting map. 28 years later, you're in South Africa, this time as a coach in the land of the Vuvuzelas, and you've got a group comprising of yourselves, Paraguay, Slovakia and Italy. And you managed to go through undefeated, which is a phenomenal effort. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, again, James, I think, you know, uh, a massive honour and privilege to be part of that group too. I mean, we had some great players and a super, a super management group. Um, and we were, 
we were confident. You know, I think we'd come off the back of a surreal night at Westpac Stadium in Wellington and beating Bahrain and exciting, I think, the whole of the country. And I, I guess for me, that was a statement that we wanted to make that we could actually change a nation and, and, and have that full backing of, of a country. And I think we got, we kind of gained that in spades off the back of that Bahrain game. And, and then to go to the, the World Cup, and I think, you know, to draw Italy, who are the, the current world champions, um, and again, just taking that adage of opportunities in the opening game. I mean, we were well in the game against Slovakia. You know, we constantly kept coming with 20 minutes to go and, you know, a superb goal by Winston Reid right at the death to, to claim our first, you know, major point in a, in a senior tournament. Um, to then to back that up again, and I think, you know, when I reflect back now, it's like, could we have done anything different to maybe got through to the round of 16? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. But it's always a question that mulls around in my mind. Um, but I think to show the consistency that we did, because I think even currently in World Cups, you'll see teams that are ranked, um, you know, way out compared to, to the top countries in the world that might have a go once, but don't do it consistently. And I think that's the proudest thing for me is we played some excellent teams in a tough group and we consistently stayed competitive right the way through. And we'll always bear that disappointment of being so close, but not close enough to go around, you know, through to the round of 16. Um, but it, again, it's etched in, in, in my history and, you know, just something I'm incredibly proud of. And I think we made a statement for the game in New Zealand and around the world. And, uh, you know, hopefully we're looking for a national team now that can come in and do better. And, and succeed that and win games and get us through to the next round. Absolutely. And, I mean, that is, I guess, the next great challenge. But I will say um, one thing they can never take away from you is that you did finish ahead of the reigning world champion in Italy at that World Cup. And uh, I think it's fair to say that a lot of Socceroos fans probably thoroughly enjoyed the fact that their draw against New Zealand prevented them from going through to the round of 16 and potentially defending that World Cup. So, mate, what a, what a terrific time. Uh, in, in New Zealand sporting history. We ought to move on because we've got another four games we need to get through, which, uh, to be fair, who the hell knows what is going to happen here in these this last little batch of group games before we move on to the round of 16. And we might start with Cameroon versus Brazil. The equation's simple enough for Cameroon. They need to win to have any hope. They're paying $8 with Ned's Brazil, $1.40, and a draw $4.60. I read a stat before that said Brazil have not even conceded a single shot on target during their first two matches at this tournament. They look absolutely incredible, and uh, they are the favourites, and rightly so, to go through here. Ken, firstly, mate, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, I haven't read the team news around Brazil, James. I'm wondering whether they might rest a few of their key players. I know Neymar got a knock in one of the matches and had a very swollen foot. I saw it on social media somewhere. Cameroon look okay. Um, they, they kept pressing the other day. I think it was against Serbia when I watched that match. They they look okay. The odds probably reflect the what's going to happen in the game. Brazil should win. I guess the, the handicap market, with Brazil to win by two clear goals, could be the way to go around, I'm guessing here, 222 might be the price. But... Yeah, Ricky, when you watch Brazil, uh, the, the 2022 version, what are your thoughts? They, they seem to have a lot of bases covered, don't they? Yeah, look, I think they've got some great depth, Ken. Um, you know, and I, don't, I, I, I say that, um, I would probably say that on a regular basis. I mean, mm. they're a machine 
in the ability to produce and turn out players on a regular basis. Um, for me, they've, and I don't say this lightly, I think they've probably flown a little bit under the radar. Um, and, and I say that given the context of some of the previous results against some of the, the bigger nations as well that have been tipped over or dropped points. And they've just kind of seamlessly got on, you know, done the job. Um, you know, they're sitting there, you know, three goals, four, none against. Um, you know, they've managed to continue on. Neymar gets an injury. The depth is still there. Uh, you know, Richarlison, the goals that he's scoring, you know, just the quality of that team going forward, I think is probably going to be a bit too much um, that they should well go on and top the group. Um, I, look, I really do like Cameroon, mm. um, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's a bigger conversation, but I think the emergence of some of the African nations um, is clearly coming to the fore. Um, probably, though, the, the position that Cameroon have got in needing to win this fixture might be a step too far. Um, so my, my heart is with Cameroon, but I think my head's saying that Brazil should be too good not to get beaten in this fixture. What are your thoughts on the other game, uh, Ricky, in this group? Serbia playing Switzerland. The odds are 255 on the Serbians, 325 the draw, 270 on the Swiss, the Swiss actually over the last what eight to ten to twelve years have actually gone pretty well in Euros and World Cups. They've kind of punched above their weight. Serbia, by contrast, haven't always fulfilled the obvious talent they have. I mean, if you watch Serbia play, technically they're one of the soundest teams to watch. I mean, they do everything right, but I don't know. I I, I like the Serbians, but uh, you, you couldn't write off the Swiss in this match. Yeah, and I think some good points, Ken, and I think. You know, for me, it's it's got the context now of strategically what's going to happen in this match. If Serbia mm. win, they'll go through. So, you know, I think you may see a little bit of contrast. I think, you know, Switzerland have that edge on potentially getting through drawing the match as well. And I don't say that they're going to sit back and defend. Um, but I don't disagree. I think if I was going to throw one out there, Potentially, I think Serbia could get this one over the line, which would mean they would climb to you know second position, unless we see something from Cameroon over Brazil. But uh, yeah, I don't think I think the margin will be very very minor, mm. but I do fancy Serbia to get over the top. The other market I like in that game, James and Ricky, is the both teams to score market. You know, I'm going yes in that game. I, I think it may open up in the second half, Serbia versus Switzerland, and. That price is a dollar seventy three, and I'm keen to multi that into the both teams of score market in the Ghana Uruguay game. We'll now talk about, and that's at a dollar ninety one. You, you multi those up, it's about three dollars and thirty cents. The the multi price Ghana five dollars head to head against Uruguay. Uruguay Uruguay dollar seventy, and three dollars sixty about the draw. Ghana Ricky before the tournament were written off. Uh, they were suggested it was suggested by the pundits that they were the the worst team in Africa who had qualified. They only just qualified, I think, from their group. Uh, Uruguay, by contrast, got a nice team. They've got a couple of older guys, but a number of younger players too who are applying their trade in Europe with great success. So I suspect Ghana have been waiting 12 long yes. years yes. to have a rematch here. Uh, Ricky, you probably remember this too at that 2010 World Cup. The, the two sides were up against each other during the knockout phase and... Uh, Ghana was seemingly about to go ahead with a headed goal until Luis Suarez popped up on the goal line 
and he reached up yep. and he knocked the ball away with his hands, uh, subsequently Correct. receiving a red card. But unfortunately, I think it was Asamo Gian missed a penalty and then the game itself went to penalties and Uruguay managed to get through. Now, I can tell you right now that Ghana has not forgotten any of this and Suarez has been asked about this in the lead-up and flat-out refused to apologise for what he did as well. So they've uh, they've lit the fire a little bit there. So if nothing else, Ghana have certainly got that to play for. But as Ken said, Uruguay are stacked. They're not having their, their best World Cup so far. I think they're scoreless through two games. But their team on paper is uh, is astonishingly good. So what do you make of this one, Ricky? I can't see Ghana missing out, guys, to be honest. I, I, I don't think. I think the form they're in, the position they're in, it all favours them to get through with Portugal into the next round. So are they good enough to get over the top of Uruguay and win? Um, for me, it won't matter. I still think Ghana are good enough to secure the points or point that will be good enough to get them through. Korea against Portugal, I think, is well within the, the distance. I think Portugal will go all the way through to top the group quite quite convincingly. Yeah, good point about the Ghana game. I mean, if you do like Ghana, the, the double chance market could be the, 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 the play there. Uruguay, dollar seventy yeah. in the head-to-head. So if you go double chance Ghana and the draw, that would be around even money. So uh, that could well and, be the way to go. And, and I do like the one you mentioned before, Ken, about both teams scoring because – You've you've only got to have Uruguay score first, Mm. Um, and then I think yep, I think you're going to see a very open game, and I think we could say that across a couple of the fixtures that we've got coming up. Now I spoke to you, Ricky, uh, a month or so ago about or some of those we we saw Australia play New Zealand, didn't we, in those matches uh, about a month ago before the World Cup, and. We weren't impressed with the Socceroos, were we? But things have changed, haven't they? What, what, what are your thoughts now on what Graham Arnold has done with his team? Yeah, look, I think I, I was on radio um, in New Zealand the other day, and I think, you know, when you look at the opening game, guys, when, um, you know, they got beat 4-1 by France, I think there was a lot of negativity, a lot of comment. And, and, and I think what Graham has, he has an unbelievable resilience. And I think you can only look for them to bounce back against Tunisia and get that result over the line, that that confidence and resilience has flowed through to his players. Because I think the easy thing would have been to to wobble a little bit, and I think from a management, to wobble to then that flow down through the players, to have uncertainty and perhaps a little bit of lack of belief. And, you know, do I think they're as good as past? Australian teams? Potentially not with Mark Badukas and Harry Kuehls and Mark Bosniches and you know you've got some pretty high profile names that have preceded this group. What this group has for me in abundance is an amazing, from a distance, an amazing strength and character, amazing resilience and the ability to play to a game plan for a hundred odd minutes whatever is required. And I think that's testament to that group that have managed to to dig deep and to stay strong collectively and then to get a result against Denmark, who sit in the top 10 in the world, albeit a Denmark team that's probably looking and going through transition. It's an amazing result for the Australian team to get. Yeah, he's done a terrific job, Graham Arnold, in pretty tough conditions. I mean, he's working for a governing body that uh, I don't think are doing a particularly good job with the sport necessarily in this country. And 
I mean, they were written off during qualifying. They were they were effectively no hope, and then they had to play Peru, and they were given no chance over there. And then all of a sudden, they are through to the round of the last sixteen. They've had two wins at a World Cup, which they've never done before, uh, and they're up against Argentina in in Messi's last game in an Argentinian shirt. So uh, there you go, Messi's <laughs> last game. Okay, <laughs> fingers James. crossed, eh? <laughs> I think, guys, if I do reflect back, I mean, what I'm seeing now with the Australian team is what I saw against when they played Peru. And just a team that were good enough and strong enough to give themselves a chance to go to a World Cup. They didn't buckle under pressure when they were under pressure a bit by the Peru side um, on occasions, but they just showed that real character that potentially they didn't show going through the qualifiers when they did look vulnerable and they were opened up at times and, you know, they looked like a side at some point that, you know, this team's not going to get through to, to even to the playoffs. So credit where credit's due. You know, I think there's been a, there's been a strong look in the mirror and I think these players have very, very stepped up. And I think, you know, Graham has surrounded that and he's, you know, he's a, played a massive part in getting them to the point they're at. You know, they should be absolutely over the moon that they're going through to round 16, playing arguably one of the strongest countries in the world. We're going to get into the important stuff shortly, Ricky, the, the racing tips for the weekend. We know you, you love your racing, particularly your harness racing. Um, just a comment on England. Um, a big game against Senegal, who have probably gone under the radar, really. They're a good side. African Nations Cup champions, of course. A number of their top players play for the leading clubs throughout Europe. Um, the prices there I saw a dollar fifty around England, four dollars a draw, seven fifty about Senegal. I gave Senegal a bit of a chance here. I think the double chance market's two fifty. If you like Senegal or the draw, England, what what do you make of them? Yeah, they've been. Um, look, I think they always wave that flag, Ken, don't they? Of of, of a country that needs to be getting through and and you know, making a World Cup final or winning a World Cup. And I think we've seen probably two sides to the England team so far. And, you know, the opening game against Iran, I mean, on World Cup levels and in and, and, and competitions, you would like to think that that was always going to be a secure three points. Mm. They were very going forward. I think they scored some great goals. Um, the, the opportunities that they did create, they took to then conversely move to the second game where did they play differently? Probably not. Were they as articulate in the final third? Absolutely not. Mm. Um, so I think there's, there's, there's a couple of sides. And I think, you know, for Gareth Southgate now, it's going to be very interesting to see which way he goes from a selection perspective because you've got some players that stepped up to the plate in the last game that, I thought made a difference that hadn't been starting um, from the opening game in the tournament to what's that going to look like. And look, I, I, I think this fixture for me could go to extra time. Yeah, I I, I, look, I, I think Senegal could be, you know, from, from an emerging nation, they look very good. You know, going forward, I think they'll pin that, that um, or, or pose a number of problems for the, for the England defence, and and I, I guess if you're being, you know, putting the the, the blowtorch across the England side, potentially at the back, um, there could be degrees of weaknesses as as the tournament progresses, and 
and the teams get more challenging to play. And I think if you've got a side that could open them up a little bit, could be the fluency and attacking prowess of a team like Senegal. You're not having a go at Harry Maguire as well, are you, Rick? <laughs> no, because I think, you know, um, club versus country, chalk versus cheese, mm. you know? And I think, you know, I think to be fair to him, he's really stood up in the World Cup, yeah, you know? And, mm. and and I think, you know, the, the, it's moments like that on the world stage that, that you're seeing the true player, you know, club club scenario, et cetera, I think. You know, there's a there's a range of probably, you know, discussions on on performances and and you know players etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, you know, I just think you know the Senegal side, the way they're playing, you know, again, unbelievably collective. They look great on the pitch, um, and they'll have moments where they'll be under pressure because you know the England side going forward too is is very confident. Um, I think it just could be in that final third of both teams. Um, and how they deal with that defensively could could well be the uh, decision maker in this fixture. Ricky, we we must ask you. It sounds like you may have potentially found a few winners for us this weekend away from the football pitch and uh, down at the racetrack. Uh, have you had a chance to cast your eye over the form for the next couple of days? Yeah, I I, I have guys, and um, to, to Ken, sort of surprise, I've been away from the harness racing. Um, I'm not sure why, but I think there's some there's some very interesting sort of bigger races coming up over the next sort of few weeks and leading into the Christmas period, which will be exciting to see with you know some real talented uh, horses coming through. But yeah, tomorrow, guys, I've gone I've gone for one in the Pakenham Cup, um, Wycliffe, mm. uh, Craig Williams to rock Danny O'Brien trained. I really like this one. I think you've got a jockey who's in sensational form currently. I think the horse leading into it was a great run pre, uh, prior to this, um, and it just looks prime and set at nice odds. Mm. Um, so I'm going to throw that one out in the Pakenham Cup. Don't know your thoughts on that one. 650 uh, Wycliffe, Ricky, you're right. Drawn three over the 2,500 metres, race seven. Goes over here in Australia at 20 past 4 p.m. tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, look, it's 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 one of those fields where there's a few each way chances. You got Kissinger, the Tavistock gelding at four dollars sixty favourite. Milford, uh, ex Stephen Marsh, I think. Uh, Ricky Marsh, he trained that for a while before it went to Mike Maroney uh, over here. Four eighty about it. I actually backed it last weekend at sixteens and at one. It's the only click I've had for the last month. Um, and fifth position's the other one. I think the pundits can throw into the aquatics and exotics. It's it's about eight dollars and fifty cents, but. I must admit, if you if I showed you my uh, form book I had a look at last night, Ricky, for this race, I had a big circle around number seven, Wycliffe, as well. So that's that's scary. <laughs> there you go. Race seven, number seven, Wycliffe in the Pakenham Cup tomorrow afternoon, paying $6.50 if you don't mind. So that's a nice one. Ricky, anything else you like? Moving forward to the George Moore Stakes, I like a horse here called Samut. Uh, Jimmy Byrne to ride. Chris Lee's trained. Again, I think odds are nice. Um, and again, form leading into it, very, very strong. So I think that's a it's a it's a nice win bet. You may want to just chuck a couple of dollars on for a place just in case it gets nabbed on the line. So Mick, Mick Worsley, who I occasionally have a schooner with at the Dock Pub in Canberra here, Ricky, he's got a share of Samut. And he did tell me about a week ago, and this isn't scripted, uh, punters listening in, this isn't scripted, 
He did tell me a week ago that Samut has been waiting for a wet track, and I see the track at Doomman tomorrow is a heavy nine at the moment. It's 480 it's paying, Ricky, and its heavy stats are five starts on the heavy for two wins and a, and a second. So I think there'll be a fair amount of it, people nodding their heads around the place saying, yeah, you're spot on. Hopefully they're nodding tomorrow afternoon, Ken. Otherwise, it could be the last podcast we do. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that sounds good too. So that's race eight, number 10, Samut, up at Doombin in the George Moore Stakes. Uh, yeah, $4.80. Anything else uh, around the country there, Ricky, that you like? Yeah, I've just moved back to my homeland and uh, Pukekohe races tomorrow. In the Bone Crusher Stakes, I really do like this one. Well on top. Number one, Sacred Satano. Cosi Asana to right. Um, currently, I think around $2.30, $2.80 perhaps. But I do like this horse, and I think he's a winner. Yeah, they're liking these Satano Aladdins, aren't they? Uh, they, they think he's going to do a good job as as a stallion. Uh, just looking at some others in the race, I think you've you probably got a good, good, good chance there, Ricky. $2.50 I'm looking at here. Drawn the ace, should just sit just in behind them, I'd imagine, and be finishing off. So I think if we if we can throw it out there, um, I do like those three. Um, I'm not veering away from win bets, but I do think a nice multi, each way multi across the three of them. Just to wrap that up there, in the Bone Crusher Stakes of Pukekohe, race seven, number one, Sacred Satano. Sorry, Sacred Satono to win that race. Uh, we like, uh, well, Ricky likes up at Dooman in the George Moore Stakes. Race 8, number 10, Samut. And then in the Pakenham Cup, Wycliffe. Race 7, number 7, Wycliffe paying $6.50. Bit of value flying around there, Rudd. Yeah, no, there's always value. There's always value with, <laughs> with Ricky. And um, look, this, honestly, I think that that, 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 th- that trio of selections has got every possible chance uh, just to wrap things up, Ricky, World Cup, who wins? Uh, well, I threw France out at the um, start of the campaign, Ken. I think um, certainly wasn't a great result for them the other day. But, uh, you know, whilst I've got a few of the key players missing, I, I did like the way they sort of got their campaign underway. Um, I am going to stay with them. Um, you know, I think depending on who plays who and who crosses over, you know, the three for me were always going to be France, Brazil or Spain. Um, but I had hang my hat out to say I think France can get this one over the line in what is a very, very, very even World Cup. Probably the most even World Cup that I've seen for a number of years. It's been absolutely captivating to watch from this side of the world. Look, Ricky, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. We've had a, a magnificent chat here today and I reckon we could have gone on for several hours if... Uh, we weren't bound by time restrictions. Ken and I have a uh, a lunch to get to, I think, at about half past 12, and the word on the street is the boss is paying for it. So uh, <laughs> we need to be away for that, I suppose. But, uh, look, thanks so much for joining us, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Pleasure, guys. Thanks very much, eh? Ken, great, great fella, Ricky, isn't he? Gee whiz. Yeah, he is. Look, we, we, we could have gone on for, as you say, for a long, long, long time. I mean, not just those three tips at the at the gallops. There would have been a few more at the harness time at Alexandra <laughs> Park, I'm sure. If it, and it's a big day, actually, for Kiwis harness racing-wise on Sunday. It's New Zealand Oaks Day and Derby Day at Addington and Christchurch on Sunday. Day meeting, which will be just enormous. Looking forward to that. Some outstanding harness flesh in action there, and he would have... 
Ricky, don't worry about that. He'll be all over that on uh, on Sunday morning, having a look. But um, from a punting perspective, just summarising things from from where I stand, James, for the next twenty four hours, I just wonder if this World Cup's going to start being more consistent in terms of uh, where it's where the form book sits. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But I do fancy in the Ghana game against Uruguay goals. I think both teams will score at a dollar ninety one. I think the same will happen in the Serbia Switzerland game. I think both. Both those matches in the second halves could be really worth watching. They could really open up. So goals in that match, Serbia v Switzerland, $1.73, both teams to score. So multi those up and get about three thirty. If you think the favourites can win, I noticed on Neds they have a, a four. Uh, Uruguay to win, Portugal to win, Serbia to win, Brazil to win. If you work out the head-to-head odds, it's around $10.36, but they're giving you an $11 price around those four teams to win. Uh, could be gutsy stuff to take, given the, the, the inconsistency of some of the form over the last uh, few matches. But I think the form book, at some stage in this World Cup, will play true. Geez, we've got some um, got a big weekend ahead of us in terms of uh, soccer games to watch. Mm. We can't forget that the Socceroos are on Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, 6am. If uh, I do have one bet that I don't mind the look of here, Ken, which uh, mm. look probably won't surprise you too much, but um, Cristiano Ronaldo, anytime scorer in the Portugal South Korea game. What price? Uh, I haven't had a look. I suspect it's about $2 or something like yeah. that. I suggest punted to go and have a look at it. Reason being, he only needs one goal to equal Eusebio's goal scoring record at a World Cup for Portugal. Mm. And I can tell you right now, I suspect that is forefront of his mind, yep. especially given Portugal have already qualified. That's another little uh, individual honour he might be able to tick off there and then hopefully, for his sake, uh, beat further down the track at this World Cup. So I suspect he might put one past the fairly hapless South Koreans who have been uh, mm. disappointing at this World Cup. Yeah, so the, the flick of the here the other day on that goal with Fernandes has crossed didn't quite. There was no hair involved. It was no hair involved. phantom Ronaldo goal, right? Okay. No, the barb has gone just a fraction too short, too short. there. Yes. You know, the, no, he, the night before. And he takes the penalties, he takes the free kicks near the box too, doesn't he? So he's going to get chances. Oh, he would have been filthy. I think he was off when they got that last minute penalty the other day. That's right. <laughs> he would have been filthy. Anyway, Rudds, we'd better wrap it up there. It's been a fantastic show. Thank you, as always, for getting Ricky on uh, to chat with us. He was, he was brilliant to talk to. What an honour, mate. Uh, enjoy. Your weekend, it looks like a big one ahead. Yeah, it's going to be a big one. Good racing uh, tomorrow, as Ricky's alluded to, Packenham Cup Day. Uh, good racing in Sydney and good racing at uh, Doomben, I see, as well. So the Christmas spirit is upon us and uh, really looking forward to this last matches of the group stage of the World Cup and then we get into the knockouts. How good. Just keeps on rolling. We'll be back with you again next week and until then, happy punting.